0: And I think it comes back to just doing hard things. You just get introduced to doing hard things when you're in college, the second it comes up, your first reaction is going to be, well, I don't like that. (laughs) But if you you grow up in a culture that you're constantly doing hard things, that was capital for me. And and honestly, I didn't really have a choice just because football was so ingrained in our blood that you couldn't walk away from it. The only thing I could do is just nut up and take it. But it made me tougher, and I'm thankful for it every single day now that I went through that. I think just going through hard stuff and getting out the other side, and there's a part of you that, man, that was hard, and I got through it. And you start to understand that as long as you stick with it, you're going to get through it.
1: Welcome in to Catching Up with the Cats, a podcast series presented by Blackfoot Communications in association with Skyline Sports as well as ESPN Missoula. I'm Colter Nuanez. This podcast series will feature episodes each week throughout the 2021 football season, catching up with guys that played during the most recent run of success at Montana State. Myself, I've been covering Montana State football since moving back to the Treasure State in 2011, This will be my 11th season covering the Bobcats. So this season's series will feature players that have played during that time, guys that I've covered, guys that i got a chance to get to know. In this Catching Up with the Cats, we hear from Brad Daly. Brad Daly's a Helena native, a Helena Capital product, one of the all-time greatest Bobcats in the history of Montana State football. Daly burst onto the scene in 2011 after returning to the program after a year away. He had 12 and a half sacks as a pass rush specialist to lead the Big Sky Conference. The following year, he battled unbelievable injuries, yet still was a second team All-League selection, and as a senior, he went out with a bang. 20 and a half tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks, he blocked two kicks and forced two Fumbles. He became Montana State's second consecutive Buck Buchanan Award winner, following Caleb Schreibeis. Also a defensive end, Daly was also Big Sky Conference Defensive MVP the third and five seasons for Rob Ash's Bobcats. Daly is a guy that comes from unbelievable Bobcat lineage. His father Jay was a Bobcat team captain when he played, and then also Jay coached at Helena Capital. Brad's older brother, Bobby, was an All-American linebacker at Montana State, a team captain, and is now the assistant head coach on Brent Vegan's staff at MSU, and Daly himself, a multiple-time all-league selection, and one of the great pass rushers, not only in the history of Montana State, but the history of the Big Sky Conference. Please enjoy this week's Catching Up with the Cats with former Bobcat All-American defensive end, Brad Daly. Well, well, well. Never thought I'd see the day that this would happen. But we're rolling on on Catching Up with the Cats. This is our new podcast series presented by Blackfoot Communications and uh, making the rounds with as many standout former Montana State football players as we can. The next guest here on Catching Up with the Cats is a guy that... I loved covering, loved watch playing, and a guy that probably hated doing interviews with me more than anybody in the whole world. And it wasn't because of me. It's just because he didn't want to do this kind of stuff. But now he's ready to roll because he's been listening to podcasts. He's still got his fancy phone from high school. This is awesome to welcome in Brad Daly to Catching Up With The Cats. Brad, thanks so much for being with us, my man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing really good, man. I'm happy to be here.
1: Let's talk first and foremost about the here and now. You are a Helena native. You went to school in Bozeman. Uh, but what have you been up to since you graduated? I know you're in Billings now, but take people through just uh, what's the last several years been like for you and your family.
0: Yeah. So right out of school, uh, my wife and I, Maggie, uh, we moved out to Williston, North Dakota and chased oil out there for a little while and kind of got to, uh, to see that area and realize how much we appreciated Montana. Um, so we uh, decided to make the move back here, and now I'm working for uh, Exxon out in the east end of town here in Billings.
1: Very good. And you are married to a former Montana State athlete, Maggie Powell. You guys got some kiddos or just one kiddo? Remind me.
0: Yeah, we got one kid. We got a little girl named Quinn Parker. She is a blast. Just got done dropping her, dropping her off at daycare.
1: Well, that's awesome, man. got to love it. Well, let's go back to the very beginning. First and foremost, before we even get your time at Montana State, let's talk about Helena Capital because I remember I'm several years older than you. I'm about the same age as your big brother, Bobby, who's now the assistant head coach and the linebackers coach there at Montana State. And uh, Helena Capital – in the 90s, early 2000s, was it? Yeah, they were the cream of the crop. It was Great Falls, C.M.R., Helena Capital, and everybody else. Everybody was chasing Capital and uh, an outstanding high school program. I remember when I was a senior, we beat Capital during the regular season. And it was like we won the fucking Super Bowl. It was it was crazy uh, how how big of a deal that was then because they had just been so so good. Coach Sampson had had it rolling so hard. So just take us through time there. I mean, what do you remember about that program and why was it so good back then? Why was it producing so many great players that went on to play for the Bobcats, the Grizzlies, and and even higher levels
2: yeah
0: I mean I remember a lot about it my dad coached ever since I was shoot I think he was coached when I was born so he uh he coached forever I grew up on the sidelines there and I got to see all those teams it was funny capital was in Billings here uh playing west and I was talking to this Anto kid uh, and he had the the belt there's like a a tribal belt that kind of gets passed down from the defensive leaders and he pulled it out and Shoot, the whole front is filled out and the back is filled out. And he was like, man, I, I have no idea who any of these names are down here. And I was able to rattle off everything from, I think, I, think, I want to say it was like 98 on. <laughs> so I, I could crank out all the names on there for all the defensive studs just based on their initials. But Man, I think Capital was – they had a lot of great talent, but I, I think the thing that made them so great was – they're Their role players, man, they were tough as nails. Those Valley kids, man, they just – I just think back on it, and they just all were just tough as nails. They, there was something about the culture there that, you know, they were they, – they grew up that way. They saw the kids older than them doing that, and then that legacy kind of just got passed down, and everybody had that blue-collar attitude. Everybody had that willing to get in the scrap kind of attitude, and, and I think that's huge.
1: Learning from the guys that come before you. I think that that's something that is so important in football. I think it's so important in life, especially for males. Uh, But that part, I don't know if that still exists anymore, but who did you look up to? Because there were some awesome capital players. I I remember even me growing up in Missoula, I just I loved Greg Crothers. I loved so many of those guys. I thought that they were all so uh, fun to watch and so fun to follow. But who did you sort of idolize?
0: Yeah, I so took my and Brandon Malone, and that class was really, really talented. But the next class, Kyler Knoll was the guy that, he was my guy. I wore 44 for ever. just just he was my idol. And then I got to, to grow up with his little brother, Quinn, a little bit. and But he was the guy. He ended up playing for the Grizz, which is, uh, I guess, I, I stopped wearing his jersey after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Kyler Knoll was the guy I looked up to the most.
1: I remember too, just learning about Capitals off-season program, and, and we, because we sort of just like wanted to emulate that, because I think that at Big Sky it was kind of similar type of kids. You're gonna get a lot of kids with kind of rural backgrounds or working class backgrounds, and. Uh, I remember just thinking about or just studying the fact that you guys had this off-season program. It was kind of ahead of its time. It seems so commonplace now, but having to sign into the weight room and and being required to be there for summer workouts all the time and and all that. But it seems like that probably prepared you then when you got to college too, though, because you were kind of used to at least a little bit the dedication that it takes.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Lon Carter did a great job with that. He uh, He ran that weights program in the morning, and then he also did like a dots program where it was just basically footwork stuff. Uh, and that was for more than just the football team. All the kids there would show up for that. I Shoot, I remember going to that when I was like a fifth grader. But uh, that was just part of it. You just – if you didn't show up for that, you know, could, could anyone count on you for showing up on Friday night either, you know? That was just sort of the culture, and it was – it was ahead of its time. There were uh, areas of improvement if performance was what you were going for. But, uh, like, those workouts were so incredibly brutal – like, and probably not gaining us a whole lot from, like, a physical standpoint, but psychologically, man, they were tough. Like, I didn't do workouts that tough outside of there, and I think that's a, a big part of it, too, just being mentally tough. And, you know, in the fourth quarter, like, that wasn't anything compared to the last 15 minutes of those workouts. Sometimes those things were terrible. Kids would be crying. Kids would be throwing up in the, the garbage cans. It was It was pretty intense.
1: Well, that's why I loved when Jeff Choate took over Montana State because he and I used to always talk about, he said, man, what people don't understand is is the drills, the running, the the conditioning. This day and age in Division One college football, these guys are in shape. Everybody's in shape. They're in the best shape ever. It's not about getting into shape. It's about cultivating toughness. It's about making you do something you don't want to do. It's about pushing through the gasser. And it sounds like that's sort of a similar dynamic to what you guys had going at Capitol.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean – hard things are the best things in my opinion. I mean just doing really really hard things and it sucks while you're doing it but man I still look back at those workouts and they were they were awful. But I look back at them and I'm smiling now. You know? <laughs> it's it's weird how you just like do these awful things and then look back on it and smile. It's uh I think it it, it really builds people. It builds character for sure.
1: No question. Last couple of questions about your high school days. Did you play for Coach Sampson the whole time? I can't remember what the transition was like. Are they, I guess maybe did you even play for Coach Sampson? Because I know he went to Northern. and I can't really remember the timeline.
0: I, uh, I, uh, I worked under Coach Sampson. I was his ball boy and cord boy for years. But uh, he he'd moved on to Northern after, after Markie graduated. Uh, so I, uh, I, I worked. I, I guess grew up under Murphy in high school.
1: Oh, yeah, Pat Murphy. That's right. Well, uh, Pat hey, Murphy had a lot of success at Capital, too. So what do you remember about coming up for him and, and uh, just what did he teach you that got, kind of got you ready for the college level?
0: Um, well, he was an offensive-minded dude, so I was not. <laughs> so I kind of grew up under my Alex and Carter and, and, and Perlick and those guys. And they taught me a ton. I, I thought from a from a technique standpoint, I thought I was miles ahead. Me and Brian Bignall used to talk about that all the time where, where there's just things that you always see studs come out of high school with just these bad habits, right? Like habits that would work in high school, but it's going to get you buried in college. And I just remember the was so great at, at drilling down on those in high school. And so we got into college and we didn't have any of those bad habits and we were able to really just, focused in on the craft and not have to learn the fundamental mechanics or anything like that. So I thought that was a huge advantage. And that's, that's a huge testament to him. And you see it year in year out. I mean, I was watching when West was playing capital down here and it was just like, man, these kids still have great technique. They play behind their hands. They've got good pad level. They get off blocks. And it's just, those things don't always happen at the college They're at the high school level.
1: I think so much about that, too, because there's this whole narrative of guys coming from Montana that are raw prospects. A lot of times that's true because guys are coming from small towns. Maybe they're playing eight man or, you know, class B little schools. They haven't really dedicated themselves to lifting year-round, and, you know, the level of competition is significantly higher. That said, I've always thought that one of the underrated parts about guys that come out of the Montana high schools is there's so many good coaches at so many different levels in Montana because people love living in Montana, and people love living in their hometown. And you got me, like you mentioned, a guy like Lee Carter. I mean, he must have been coaching at Capital since longer than I've been alive, (laughs) just helping every kid, you know, generations worth of kids out, you know? So I feel like a lot of times kids come in, even if they don't have the uh, the skill or they, they have have a lot of upside because they're still raw. They do have that baseline fundamental. I think I think that helps a lot of Montana kids out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And talk about Lee Carter, Lon Carter, Lee Carter's dad. I mean, he, the reason Capitals brown and gold is because he went to Wyoming. I mean, that guy's been around forever, and he's a great coach. He uh, you want to you want to make kids tough, man. He's he's the guy that does it. He can he can really whip guys into shape, and he doesn't take crap for anyone. And you'll feel like the smallest person in the room when he's around but man you'll be better for it if you can if you can stand through it
1: Catching Up With The Cats Brad Daly joining us Catching Up With The Cats is presented by Blackfoot Communications thanks to Blackfoot for all their support in the launching of our podcast network not only do we have Catching Up With The Cats we still have the Big Sky Breakdown three to four times a week featuring interviews with contemporary Bobcat and Grizzly coaches So going to launch Grizz Greats this weekend the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions we also have uh, a variety of other podcasts up there. Got a new soccer podcast with our guy, Andrew Houghton. And uh, of course, Nuan is now my daily radio show, archived each and every day uh, on all your podcast hosting platforms. And all of that is presented proudly by Blackfoot Communications. So we really appreciate them for all their support. Brad, let's talk about when you were about to come to Montana State. I know that there was probably little to no debate where you were going to school. Your, your dad, Jay, played at Montana State. Your older brother, Bobby, had been an All-American at MSU. Uh, so take us through the recruiting process, though. Probably a pretty open and closed deal if uh, when you got the opportunity to join the Bobcats.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, funny. funny. Uh, so I had committed to MSU my junior year, and I hadn't talked to anyone from the Grizz. And, and then one day... Uh, uh, Delaney was, was at the school, um, and he was recruiting Glukert for the most part to go over there. But like I said, yeah, you might as well talk to him while you're here. And so I, I go in there, and <laughs> he doesn't know my first name. He's calling me Doug. The whole time <laughs> I'm in there, he's calling me Doug. <laughs> and I and I didn't. Like at first, I thought he was just kidding around like Joe. You know, where the is your cats there's a rivalry kind of thing. And then I realized it was just he genuinely didn't know my name, which uh, it was pretty funny. and I didn't correct him once. I just kind of chuckled to myself while we talked. But, but yeah, if it wasn't 100% solidified before that, it, that, that did the trick.
1: <laughs> that is just too good. What a deal. And, of, of course, uh, I, it was never going to resonate with you anyways, but that's just like the the opposite, right? Just That's just no chance. I'm not even close to going there.
0: Yeah. It, you know, what's actually funny about that story, too, is like when I was, uh, when I, after I won the buck, I, I also won this award and they sent me down to the national championship game down there. And Delaney was down there, too. And he came up to my brother-in-law and shook his hand thinking it was me then, too. So even after all of that,
1: <laughs>
0: he, he didn't know who the all I was. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh,
1: Well, then you're at Montana State. You certainly went on to prove to people who you were. But let's talk about the early days at MSU because I know uh, it took a little while for you to settle in. So, when you first got to campus, what do you remember about that true freshman year in 2009? I know that was a a team that was still trying to build uh, after Mike Kramer had been let go, Rob Ash had taken over, uh, but they were on the brink. You guys were kind of moving up uh, the the ranks. Some great players on the team that kind of leading the way, including Dane Fletcher, who an all-time great Bobcat, to be sure. And I'm sure a guy you probably looked up to uh, as a guy that was a fellow defensive lineman. But what do you remember about that first year at MSU? Because you kind of got thrust into the action. So not necessarily your typical acclimation to college football.
0: Yeah, I, uh, so I uh, was a real shithead in high school. Um, just full disclosure. But uh, I'd gotten in trouble. And so I wasn't allowed to come to fall camp right away. Uh, so 2 days was... It was just getting over when all of that stuff kind of cleared up, and then they were like, okay, hey, that's how it turned out, then you're welcome to come down here. So I uh, I go down there, and I think there's three days left of two-a-days. So I, I still have my practices to get acclimated before I can wear pads. So I'm doing basically three days getting trying to rack up those practices as soon as possible. And uh, so I finally get into pads. And I uh, I figure for sure I'm red because I missed all the fall camp. I'm playing linebacker, which I never played in high school at all, so I have no idea what in the hell I'm doing there. Uh, but I get in on some special teams drills, and I think I I blocked a punt, and then I blocked some someone who was good. I, I was able to block him on punt, and they are like, oh, man, this kid might be able to help us. I think they were probably thinking – You know, is is he really going to be able to stick it out for five years anyway? You know, because I was not on a very good path coming out of high school. But uh, So they ended up pulling my red shirt, and I uh, had to call my parents and say, hey, I'm not red shirt, and I'm going to Michigan State next week. Um, And they couldn't get tickets or anything because it was so late. But it was pretty wild, you know. I missed all of fall camp. I missed all of install at linebacker. Now all of a sudden I'm running number two on the depth chart no idea what I'm doing at all and and I am like I I am not a natural linebacker at all it looked uncomfortable every time I watched myself on tape I was man that looks terrible I don't know what they see but they keep putting me there so I guess I'll give it a shot but but yeah ended up going down to Michigan State and got to Got to go out there. That was my first exposure to college football. It was like 75,000 people. And 300 had come out not that long ago, and they were doing their kickoff. And they did that thing right on kickoff where they said, like, the, the Spartans, what's your occupation? And the entire crowd did that. Oh, oh, oh. And I think uh, I think I, I shit in my britches a little bit when I saw that. But ended up going down there and made a tackle on kickoff, and it was all downhill from there.
1: Well, I remember – Because your brother, Bobby, had gone from defensive lineman at Capitol to uh, linebacker to then All-American linebacker, I think that there was like this thought that you were going to do the same thing. So was that frustrating? Because knowing you and watching you, you are such a natural defensive end. Was it weird or frustrating that people kind of perceived that you would make a similar transition to your older brother? Yeah, I mean, I spent
0: my whole life following in his footsteps. So I I thought that was a good thing really until I got there and I I realized just how cerebral that position is. And then on top of that, I, you know, because I had made bad choices, I I missed all of the install and fall camp. So I was already behind. I just, I just, I didn't pick up the playbook. I didn't understand coverage concepts. I didn't understand any of that. My brother, man, he, he had a year to redshirt, but he's also way more football IQ than me. You know, He, he just understands football way better than me. They got the right guy coaching, I'll
1: tell you that much. <laughs> well, your brother is incredibly smart when it comes to football. That's how he and I become good friends, because he's taught me a lot about the game over the years for sure. After that 2009, well, actually, I guess let's keep talking about that that true freshman year, because probably a lot of ups and downs for you, uh, trying to acclimate to it. And, you know, you didn't think you were going to play, but then you were. But, I mean, all in all, what did you get out of it? Bursting into the action early and then and, and sort of having to navigate that year.
0: So, I only played special teams until, gosh, I think it was swine flu. Swine flu or yeah. weird pandemic came through, and it killed us. Like, it didn't kill, but it knocked out like half the team. Right. And we couldn't, we couldn't even, like, feel the team. We had tryouts for kicker and everything. It was, it was bad news bears to the max. But the, I, uh, I was saying, like, I can't help at linebacker, but I know we're in at D-line, and I, I can rush the pass it. You know, I can, maybe I can't hold up to the run, but I'll, I'll get after the quarterback. We were playing Idaho State. I ended up going in there and I had a pretty good day. I don't remember exactly what the stat line was, but I I think I got player of the week or something for our team. So it it turned out to be a good day. And then that was just kind of the glimpse that holy shit, man! They've been telling me I'm too small and I can't do this. Well. I, I, didn't, I wasn't even 200 pounds in that game. I was 197 pounds when I stepped on the stale before that game. And I was like, man, I didn't feel like I got pushed around at all. You know, at least nothing that I couldn't iron out the kinks. And so then that was kind of where my eyes got set on. You know, I could be pretty damn good defensive end in this league.
1: See, this is my whole thing, too, with sort of the evolution of football into the modern era is I think that the priority on prototypes – has been overblown. And I think the fact that, you know, you have to be this tall to play this spot. And I, I've just thought for so long, especially when you're talking about FCS level football, like, give me an undersized offensive lineman who also was a state champion wrestler all day, right? Like, when Tucker Yates was coming out of high school yeah. in Colstrip, I was thinking, man, why is that guy only a partial walk on or partial scholarship guy? Like, I want him all day. Everybody's saying, well, he's only 5'11. I was like, well, if you're an offensive lineman, you know, the 5'11, 290 pound guy is the absolute last guy you want to go against. But, um, I mean, when, for you, the fact that you were precise, it never seemed to matter ever because you had, had such a great first step, such great technique. I mean, no one could ever really get you when you were coming off the edge. But how did you sort of get that notion through to the coaches? Because like you said, they were telling you you were too small. How did you not let that sort of infiltrate your mind and start believing that?
0: Well, I think they were definitely just as doubtful as anyone else when they said it. But, so I'd taken a year off. After my freshman year, I, I left school. And I went and worked out in the oil field, and that was a really good growth experiment for me, just because I, I got to see some some people that were living the life I thought I wanted, and they weren't really doing it the way I thought it would end up. And, and I uh, kind of got to looking at it, and it's like, man, I'm on that path. That's that's where I end up if I if I stay here. So I sort of it straightened me out. I came back to school, and when I came back, I I remember having a meeting with uh, Ash and Marshall, and I said, look. I want to come back. I understand there's not going to be a scholarship. Um, I understand you're having me playing at linebacker. I think I can play defensive end. There's um, nothing else I can help on special teams. Can, can I have a shot? And they, Thankfully, they gave it to me. I mean, those guys gave me more shots than I deserve for sure. But, uh, but yeah, they gave me a shot. And uh, I remember I, I got a sack in the Utah game. I got a couple other sacks. And then I had one game where I blew up, and then it was like, oh, dang, this kid can play. But I was still just a third-down guy, which which was okay. You know, it's nice going in on third down, being fresh, and seeing the guy across from you pant. But I uh, I, I wanted more. Um, and luckily, you know, I, I was able to put the timing in the weight room and, and get my numbers where they needed to be to even get a shot. You know, and that was another thing. I had to check boxes for, you know, you you got to weigh this much to play this position or, you know, and, yeah, I might have fushed it. I might have had five pound weights in my in my pockets every once in a while, but you know, <laughs> I did what I had to do to get on the field.
1: Well, that the dynamic there too is is fascinating when you talk about internally at Montana State because, like you mentioned, Rob Ash, Jamie Marshall, they did give you some some chances. But I know knowing Coach Bo Beck, the defensive line coach, pretty well, there was a certain attitude that he was cultivating amongst your guys' group. And it was kind of always us against the world, you know. Costa Nostra, I think, is what he used to always say, the family. And uh, to me, though, there was several guys. Yourself, Caleb Schreibeis, I mean, guys that – had been told by everybody all around the team and the league and whatever that they, they couldn't play this spot. And then you guys went on to become some of the great players, not only in program history, but in Big Sky Conference history as well. So just the fact that there was kind of that dynamic of, of Bo encouraging you guys to go out and prove everybody wrong, but also the notion that people – that you did need to prove people wrong. I mean, how did that motivate you mentally? Yeah, I
0: mean, Coach Beck, man, he could bring a room together like no one I've ever seen. We were so tight knit in there. I mean it was like it was serious when it needed to be, but but when it wasn't serious, man, we were always clowning each other and just having fun. He he made it so fun. Uh but, but he he did. He would have those moments where he'd sit you down and he's just like, Look, no one outside of here believes in this in this group. But but who cares, right? Like <laughs> it's our job to make them believe it's not like they're going to give that to us. It's, it's us that has to come out and, and prove them wrong. We need to put it on tape and, and, you know, at the end of the day they'll start talking if we deserve it. So that was kind of how he talked about it. And that was a good mindset. And then, uh, coach Wilcox did a really awesome job with that too. He always, uh, I don't think people understand just how much time you spend with your strength coach in college. You know, like I probably spent three times more time with Wilcox than I did with any of my other coaches. He just, because it's an all year thing and your position coach they're during the season, they're with you and they're with you all the time. They want to help you every chance they can. And then in the off season, they're, they're on the road a lot of the times recruiting or, you know, their focus is elsewhere where the strength coaches is, is on you all the time. And Wilcox did a really good job of, he had this, uh, this, on Goodwill Hunting, you know, when uh, Matt Damon's talking to Robin Williams, and he's talking about his dad used to beat him or whatever, and said he used to lay, uh, what was it? It was like a, a belt, a club, and a wrench down on the, on the table in front of him, and Matt Damon had to choose, and he, said, <laughs> he he'd always choose the wrench. Uh, and He goes, the wrench. Why would you choose the wrench? And he's because like, fuck him, that's why.' And that was. I don't know why but that stuck with me from the moment he told me that that just made sense to me where I would just I just always liked to take the hard route and I took the hard route beforehand but not not because not because of the right reasons I was taking it because they were just bad choices I made but from that point forward I always the hard way is probably the right way and I just started doing it that way.
1: It is a fascinating dynamic, too, because I think that uh, oftentimes if you can corral uh, the things that make you go awry, that can actually become one of your greatest strengths, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a, he, he did a good job mining the gold of what he had in the room. You know, He, he understood what skill sets we had, and he, he knew what we didn't, and uh, he would do his best to hide what we weren't good at, and, and he he would showcase what we could do. And, yeah, I that was great.
1: Well, well one thing, like you talk about it at Capitol, but also the dynamic that exists at Montana State still exists in college football, but I don't know if it's as prevalent. But the guys that come before you, the guys that are older when you're a younger guy on the squad, oftentimes you have guys – that teach you or that, or that show you the way, or, or even, you know, talk shitty and make you stay in line or, you know, rough you up or whatever it might be. But, but who are those guys for you? Who did, who are the kind of the guys that you learned the way from uh, when you were a younger guy at Montana state?
0: Uh, so like Dustin O'Connell was, was huge for me, even at Capitol and then coming to Montana state. He was, he was a guy I, I leaned on a lot. Um, Clay Fignell again, there, there was kind of a capital connection there where there was just a lot of guys that had helped me in my earlier years. And then, you know, I got there again and I'm still kind of struggling and they helped me out a little bit further. Brian Vignola is always just a really good friend of mine. Um, it, that that was it really. And then talking to my brother a lot, he, he, he would help me. But uh, but those were the guys that I, I really leaned on as I, the guys that I'd known since I was a kid, the guys that I, that knew me well enough that, you know, I could be real with them and tell them what I was actually thinking and not trying to say the right thing or or whatever that was.
1: Well, 2010, the year you were away – uh, a breakout year for Montana State. Denarius McGee a redshirt freshman, leads the Bobcats to the Big Sky Conference Championship. A win in Missoula to snap Montana's streak of 17 consecutive playoff appearances. You know, the forced fumble of Chase Reynolds on the goal line, an unforgettable moment. Mikey Ryder's pick, an unforgettable moment. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of what was then one of the greatest runs Montana State had ever had. Three straight Big Sky Conference championships and playoff appearances, playoff victories. Uh, first, uh, first couple of playoff victories in a generation. When you missed the 2010 season, but then you come back in 2011, you're a part of a championship team. What was that dynamic like? What was it like being a part of that run?
0: man, uh, it was, it was. The biggest thing I saw was just going into the fourth quarter if it was a tight game. Like you know, before, it wasn't. A, I believe we're going to win kind of thing. But when you sent Denarius out there in the fourth quarter and it was a tight game, like you knew you had a shot, you know, you knew you had better than a shot. Even if you were behind, you had a shot, you had an offense that was, was dynamic that could put points up. It wasn't that it wasn't a, a team that was, I mean, that was built to to play from in front. You know, we could come back, we could strike. We had, we had Elvis. We had, we had a lot of, a lot of you know electric players on that team. And it was fun. It was fun. Just getting that belief that, that we're never out of it kind of thing. Um,
1: yeah. Well, you mentioned in, in 2011 when you were um, sort of the third down specialist coming off the edge. and I mentioned, You mentioned the game where you kind of blew up. I remember that game. It was homecoming against Northern Arizona, I believe, and I think you were big sky and national player of the week that week. I think you had three sacks that day. But then the next year when you were transitioning to, to being a guy that was playing every down basically, what was the biggest challenge of that part?
0: The high ankle sprain in the first game.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Just that thing just lingered, man. It wouldn't go away. <laughs> Every time I catch my toe wrong, it would send chills all the way up my spine. Don't make you cry out there. <laughs> yeah, That sucked.
1: From a, a technique standpoint or, or anything like that, was there anything different?
0: Um, you know, I guess I really wanted to, to try and implement some sort of power move just because I – my ankle kind of went away I just I didn't have that twitch really until the end of the year again and so uh, I tried to I tried to implement power moves It wasn't really my thing uh, but I didn't really have any other thing to lean on because speed wasn't really there so it, it, it ultimately helped me my senior year because I did have sort of a power move you know enough that like if the guy was really wheeling back I could put him on skates but yeah, I had I had something to work with at
1: that point, man. Well, that uh, that 2012 season, one of my uh, most vivid memories of that year was uh, the second conference game uh, when you guys went to Southern Utah for the first time. Southern Utah had just joined the league, and that was when I was still working at the newspaper. That was my last year at the Bozeman Chronicle, and uh, they let me come on the booster trip, and they flew into Vegas, And then it was four days in Vegas, I guess two days, two and a half days in Vegas before then we made the bus ride to Cedar City. And uh, so I remember riding on the bus, sitting next to Brian Flockheader's dad. That was funny. Then that game was a back-and-forth. Brad Sorensen, the Southern Utah quarterback, ended up getting drafted in the NFL. That was a good Southern Utah team and sort of a precursor to what became a great run by Southern Utah. But then that was sort of the first of what became a trend. You mentioned that you guys had the ability to come back, but also the way that you guys could close games. And I've never seen a team to this day, 16 years covering the big sky, that could close games via gigantic plays, from the guys up front. I think you and Caleb Streibyce had combined for something like 12 or 13 fourth quarter sacks. I think Streibyce had eight strip sack fumbles that year, including I think six of them in the fourth quarter. I know you had a sack in that Southern Utah game. Uh, down the stretch as well, and you guys win twenty four seventeen your first appearance in Cedar City. But I also remember realizing how bad your ankle was killing you because I remember I came down the field to try to interview some guys, and you you're just laying there. <laughs> and you're like, you can ask me questions, but I'm not getting up. I gotta lay here for a minute. So, do you remember that trip to Southern Utah?
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember. They they put us up in this uh this like ski resort town, yeah. which was, it was like a vacant ski resort thing. It was pretty sweet, really. But uh, but yeah, I remember. I taped the living hell out of that ankle. It was so tight that, man, it was hurting. Like felt like it was cutting through my skin. That was kind of where it was at. As I, I was taping the thing so tight, just trying to keep my toe from dragging. That, uh, that that was by the end of that game. I needed that thing off immediately. <laughs> but yeah, you talk uh, about go, okay such a, a strange
1: place you. to go play, too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was weird. It was a. It didn't feel like. I I just I guess never really got the backstory as to why we didn't just stay in town. We just stayed up on a mountain up at this resort, like a log cabin kind of thing. And but uh you go down there and it it, it wasn't it wasn't a crazy college atmosphere. It sort of reminded me of like a UC Davis kind of atmosphere a little bit where where like it was not the the main show in town really, but uh it it was and it was really hot too.
1: It is random how hot it is. It's kind of like desert-like weather down there. But that season, you guys, that Southern Utah win was part of a six-game winning streak to open the year. Then you drop one at home to Eastern Washington, but then get it back rolling. Drop 55 on North Dakota the next week and, and keep on chugging until all of a sudden you're sitting there at 11-1. and one And... Uh, he had won another game in Missoula. So let's stop there for a moment. What do you remember about that 2012 game in Missoula? Because that was a defensive slugfest. Rory Perez had a great day that day, both as a kicker and a punter. And uh, you guys pulled out a 16-7 victory. But how were you able to hold the Grizzlies to seven points in Missoula?
0: Yeah, I just remember that place. That place is so loud. It's, I, I'm i not sure you could even build that stadium today with the fans are just on top of you. For real? I can. You can hear just like day-to-day conversations. They're so close to you. It's crazy how loud that place is. They are so close to you. You can feel it in your gut. But I remember, uh, it's like, what if Caleb had like 20 tackles or something? I just remember... Every time I seen someone coming up from the pile, it seemed like it was Caleb every single time. That, he was such a warrior, and he just, he had a way, he had a way of turning it on when it needed to be turned on. You know, he might he might lull you to sleep, and then when it was go time, that kid, and he just, he was a silent killer. He just could turn it on and barrel India.
1: I think, I think you could say that, that that game, that 2012 game against Montana, that was probably the day he won the Buck Buchanan Award, because you're right, he had 17 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and a pair of sacks, and unbelievable effort, so let's talk about him for a minute, because he's a guy that, when he first came to Montana State, it seemed like he was kind of a tweener, there was really no position for him, and, and then he just dedicated himself so much to rebuilding his body, making himself a better athlete, he, he went from contributor to good player to then all of a sudden, bam, the Buck Buchanan award winner. So uh, what was it like to watch him work and how do you think he was able to turn the corner and become an all time great? Like he did.
0: And he was just a grinder. Every, every single workout he was busting his ass every day of practice. He was busting his ass. And, and it was just a, it was a really good thing for me to see just, just exactly how doing it right actually is supposed to work, you know, and, and it didn't happen overnight for him. Like you say, you know, he, the evolution was crazy but, but he he was. He did it the right way. He on and off the field. He he's just a great person outside of football too. He's a guy I look up to still, you know, just how to conduct yourself and and uh yeah, he was a great leader. He wasn't he wasn't afraid to tell you when when something needed to be said. Um and and he was fine just kind of joking around with the guys when things didn't need to be said. He he had a really good knack for for when he for when he should you know exercise some of his leadership capital you know or or when he should sit back and just let the group be a group but yeah he didn't slough off around him because because not because he had to say anything just because he would make you look like shit because he was just always busting his ass and doing the right thing he was he was great for the room he was great for the team he, and and he was a great football player too he's just he's a good dude Lives about a quarter mile away from me here in Billings, actually, but I never see him.
1: He's always keeping himself busy for sure. Well, I think that's like one of my favorite parts about all of this, and following it and chronicling it, writing about it, and all that, is, is these stories of guys that, that bet on themselves. And I think that it's not a coincidence when you look at guys like yourself and Caleb Schreibeis and Mac Bignell, guys that the world tells them they can't play. They can't, they're not going to be able to hang at the position that they feel most natural at. And if you just keep grinding, keep doing it, you can prove everybody wrong and become a, a memorable and, and all American caliber player. But I just hope that that kids realize that now because I think now when kids get to this point where, you know, it's it's make or break, it's do or die, they, they oftentimes walk away. They oftentimes just quit instead of just persevering through it. And I just wonder, I mean, there's so many guys that if they would have walked away when they were freshmen, sophomores, we, we would never have these great memorable players like we do.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it comes back to just doing hard things, you know, like if you just get introduced to doing hard things when you're in, in college, you know, like, the second it comes up, your first reaction is going to be, you know, well, I don't like that, <laughs> you know, but if you, if you grow up in a culture that, uh, that you're constantly doing hard things, you know, that was capital for me. It was, and, and honestly, I didn't really have a choice just because football was so ingrained in our blood that like you couldn't walk away from it. So you, the only thing I could do is just, not up and take it kind of, you know, and, but it, it made me tougher. And and I, I'm thankful for it every single day now that I went through that, you know, I think, I think just going through hard stuff and getting out the other side. And then, and then there's a part of you that's like, man, that was hard and and I got through it. And you just start to understand that as long as you stick with it, you're going to get through it. It's not, it's not going to be the end of the world, you know, but I, I see it. I see it, what you're saying. It's, it doesn't happen as often anymore you don't see those grinders as much anymore you don't see that chip on your shoulder just as much anymore um and i think you know i, I think the world would be a better place if people dealt with with hard things more often but but i think it's a sign of the times too you know it's, it's a good thing that we've come so far that we don't have to deal with those things too so you know it's a it's a double-edged sword
1: long last, football is back in the Gallatin Valley, and Montana State enters Brent Vegan's first season at the helm with sky-high expectations. During the 2021 season, the Montana State Bobcats hope to carry the momentum of a historic playoff run that saw the Bobcats advance to the semifinals of the FCS playoffs for the first time in 35 years. Each and every Bobcat home game, tune in to K-Sky Country to hear from me, Colter Nuanez, of SkylineSportsMT.com. This will be my 12th season covering the Montana State football beat and my 16th year over all covering the Big Sky Conference, so tune in to hear myself and Dave Wooten for insight, analysis, interviews, and a whole lot of fun. Tune in to K-Sky Country two hours before each Bobcat home game for our Bobcat Sports Saturday. Or swing by the tailgate in front of Town & Country Foods, where we will have food, drinks, and a whole lot more. Bobcat football is back at long last, so don't miss any of the action here on K-Sky Country. Well, let's talk about... Your senior year, 2013, and uh, definitely one of the most fascinating seasons I've ever covered because you guys had such unbelievably high expectations coming into the year with uh, so many returning great players. You'd won three Big Sky championships. Uh, you, you knew you had to replace Schreibeis, but you know you still had Denarius, still had Cody Kirk, still had Tanner Bleskin, still had yourself. Yeah, you know, so many great players that... Uh, still have such a great place in Bobcat history. What do you remember about sort of the lead-up to that season? Because there was all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, there was the the North Dakota State non-conference game that ended up getting uh, pushed off the docket, and all of a sudden now instead you're going to play Monmouth and SMU, and there was just all this hype and all this stuff going around. So what do you remember just about the offseason leading up to your senior year?
0: Well, that North Dakota State thing, I remember I've been kind of licking my chops because they had a stud left tackle. I think he's still playing in the NFL. Turner was his name, but uh, I was really, really excited to get an opportunity to go against him. I thought that, I thought I was going to do all right, which was probably naive looking now at his NFL career. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, when, when we uh, decided to uh, take that money game with SMU, that was kind of a little bit of a gut punch. Um, but, but, you know, what, what do you do? It's, it's out of my control. And so then it was kind of just on the all right, let's let's uh, do what we can against, against SMU, and we should we should have won that game. We really should have won that game. That one that one hurts still. Thinking about that one that slipped away in like the last drive. It was it was a pretty tough deal. But uh, but yeah, I uh, I remember most about that year just because uh, that was really my first time having a leadership position, and I remember just being a fish out of water when it came to. Having to lead people i just I was not very good at it <laughs> and I'm not very good at it today, but I'm a hell of a lot better at it now but uh just having having that reflection time to look back on it that that was the hardest thing about that year was i just I didn't have very many good leadership traits about me, and having that that hurts.
1: It certainly comes natural to some people, maybe not others. I think you probably were a lot better leader than you probably gave yourself credit for, though, because, I, I mean, leading by example is the number one way you can lead guys, especially in college football, I think.
0: Yeah, but there is a time and place where something needs to be said. And I remember having those times where I'm like, man, I need to say something and then just <laughs> not knowing what to say and then just, it just never really did turn out right. But uh, it's, you're right, I... I every time that came up, I would just try to work harder and try and set that example, and I think that worked well enough for, for our room, you know, the defensive line room, but it didn't really you know, like, how's, how's the secondary going to watch my individual team period or my individual period? They're not going to see that, you know, and so it's hard to make that translate when everyone's focusing on their own area. That's, that's when a guy has to step up and, and really say something. Um, I thought that was something that I'd heard that Choate was doing. That was really cool. Is that his his captain's really had a lot of extra, a lot of extra responsibility and time commitment just in kind of developing being a leader, which I thought that was a cool concept. Like looking back, I wish I'd have had that.
1: That's one thing I miss about Chope, man, because he's so good at that part of it. I mean, he's so good at it that it, like, infiltrates into, like, even just us. Like, just interviewing him as a media guy. I was even getting inspired and in learning lessons because he's so good, you're right, at teaching guys those sort of skills. I He did. He used to have, like, these little lectures where he would, like, teach the guys how to be leaders. I think, you know, the art of becoming yeah. a man, for a lack of a lack of better way of saying it, I think that it's important. I think the, I think you saw that with a lot of leaders on the Cats the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, and you, you saw that because they had that team that, that wasn't gonna come back from being behind, you know. But, but they're so damn tough, man. You could just tell that those guys were tough. They were fired up. They were playing hard, and uh, it it just seemed like it seemed like, man, if they were in it in the fourth quarter, they were coming away with it. But they weren't gonna ever. It never really seemed like it got away from them, you know.
1: For sure, no question. Well, a couple more things about uh, your senior year. What do you remember about the sort of the stretch run? Because it was brutal to sort of watch the way that it went down. Because for no other factor, you guys were just so banged up. I mean, I know Denarius was playing through multiple things. Cody Kirk was so banged up. Bleskin, I mean, had like a ruptured kidney or something crazy like that. I mean, it was it was like brutal how how banged up you guys were. Um, but still, you, you know, you, you fought through it. So, I mean, what do you remember just about the stretch run of that year?
0: Oh, uh, I remember it was. It was just. It felt like it was a gut check after gut check after gut check and you just had to keep up and keep getting up and keep fighting, but and at the end of the day we 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 fought but we didn't win, but you know, hell there's there's something to be said about fighting.
1: And then probably super disappointing to not make the playoffs, but then you get a feather in your cap from an individual basis a little while later when you win the Buck Buchanan Award. But I know sometimes they tell you a little before they actually announce it. At what point did you you know, and what was your reaction when you heard you were winning National Defensive Player of the Year?
0: I actually remember it pretty vividly. uh, We were in the Billings Mall. I was down here with Maggie's family, and uh, I got a call. When we were taking a picture with Steve. And <laughs> I didn't take the call originally, and then I uh, I called Coach back and he told me what was going on. And I was like, "Damn, I really shouldn't have screened that call." But, uh, <laughs> but yeah,
1: yeah. What, was, what did uh, you I think, think uh, you. of winning that award? I mean, was it was it a was it a proud moment for you? I mean, was that an affirmation of all your hard work?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a dream come true. It was a dream I didn't really even have. I I just, like, going back-to-back back thing at Montana State, I, I didn't think that would ever happen, you know, and it did, which is great. Um, it was, it was a good validation. It was, it's been awesome as far as, you know, being able to slap that on resumes now and everything. It's, it's good to get advancements like that um, from that recognition and, yeah, it still it still helps me today. Been, it it felt really good, but man, I'd have I'd have traded it for, for playoffs for sure.
1: Well, no question. And that's sort of the the balance, right, is the the individual award is great, but it would have been a lot sweeter if uh, it had a better ending to your guys' careers. But still, so much to be proud of. And uh, honestly, one of the best runs that the school has seen, particularly in the modern era. So how would you sum up that entire time, just the the entire run you went through and just the guys you played with and the success you guys did have?
0: Oh, man, it's the best thing it's ever, I guess, my wife – child are the best thing that's ever happened to me. But at that point in my life, just just so many people taking chances on me and, and just, you know, helping me grow and, and, and getting friend networks that, that really wanted the best for me and, you know, just still having those friends now. I mean, it was just a, a huge, huge developmental time for me and it, it made me into a way better person. Um, and I think that's really what at the end of the day, that's that's what you want out of you know athletics. is just being able to be part of a team, to be a better person, to, to learn those lessons, and, and be able to triumph over challenges. And that's that's what I got out of it. Is I just I'm a way better human being for it, and I'm I'm really thankful.
1: When you had won the buck then, and and you're closing in on graduating, and all that stuff. What was it like, or what were you thinking in terms of continuing to play or not? Because I know that there was a decision that you had to make, and I know you, you just had so many injuries, but what were you thinking in terms of maybe pursuing the NFL or not?
0: Uh, you know, that was sort of the other side of that coin, where I was totally at peace with just being done with football until yeah. that award happened. And then that award happened, and it was just like, damn, I got a, a really good shot at this. You know, is it is it something I'm gonna really regret if I don't play? But it came down to just health. I uh I, my back had been bothering me so much. I'd been sleeping on the floor for a year and a half with my feet on a chair, you know, it was just I was tired of it. I was tired of being big, I was tired of tired of hurting. I uh I, I, I just was ready for it to be over and, and a lot of it was man, I I had made peace with this is my last run so I'm gonna give it everything I got kind of thing. Um, and then it turned out it didn't necessarily have to be my last run, but, but I was, that ship was sailed. I knew that if there was any doubt in my head going into that thing that, uh, that uh, it wasn't going to work out anyhow. And I went to an all-star game and kind of dinged up my shoulder, and that was just sort of one of those things that was just like made it a little bit easier. I just decided to uh, get everything on me fixed and uh, walk away with it, walk away kind of at the top of the mountain with that Bucket Cannon award and everything.
1: I mean, I think that's the way to do it, man, because I think that if you if you always wonder what could have been and, and you wonder, hey, did I make the right choice, whatever, I think if you do it when you are at peace with it, that's probably the most settling decision you can make, because I know so many guys that, you know, what could have been, what if I would have done this, what if I wouldn't got hurt here, whatever, but it seems like this is just the way, like you said, to just be at peace with it uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I think if I checked more boxes as far as being taller, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have. I would have seen more of a future, you know, but I just figured there ain't no way someone's going to give me a shot at <laughs> defense of wine. And I, I just playing at the highest level, learning a new position, that's, that's something Dane did, and that's a credit to him, but that's not really something I thought I was going to be able to do. Dane Dane had a lot more going for him in the physical category.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, he's got a lot more going physically than pretty much everybody. He's an unbelievable <laughs> athlete. Still, even to this day, he's an unbelievable athlete. Well, last couple of things yeah. for you, Brad. Uh, first of all, what, what has been your perspective on Montana State since you graduated? Do you, do you still follow him pretty closely? And what have you thought of just the, the way that the program has evolved since your days uh, playing were done?
0: Yeah, I uh, I hadn't been following that close when i was in north dakota and you know bobby wasn't there yet but uh, um once uh i i kept up i kept up with the guys that were in the d-line room i, I you know i i wanted to see how they were going to do and, and everybody but as soon as you know like the two years or so after i was done was done and i didn't really have a personal relationship with everyone there anymore i kind of let it fall off um and I was i was kind of just I had a lot going on just working a lot and just being busy and it was hard to make time for it. And you're in North Dakota, so it's not on everyone's mind, you know, everyone, no one's talking to you about it there either. And so um, that was sort of that. But then once Bobby got back there, I really started to tune in again and kind of got to, got to see what Choate was all about and everything like that. And I, I loved the direction it was going and, and, you know, and then Choate leaves and he, he goes on to a better opportunity for him and, vegan comes in and it seems like it's going in the right direction still so that's great and it's it's good to see and and you know, i hope the guys are are grateful for what's going on because there's a lot of teams that don't enjoy this
1: kind of success well, I know that uh, one thing that always is a huge talking point and a huge source of pride on both sides of the rivalry is the results of the rivalry. And I know that you had some success in the Cat Grizz games when you were playing Montana State. That was probably the number one feather in Jeff Choate's cap is not only that Montana State won four consecutive Bobcat Grizzly showdowns, but in the fashion that they won it. I mean, you're talking 350-plus yards rushing, you know, just basically running it right up Montana's ass uh, over and over and over again. So uh, from that perspective, yeah, what do never- you thought of just the, the, the Bobcat's handling the Grizz, and how much pride does that bring you?
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. I got a lot of guys I work with, a lot of guys I just see on a regular basis that uh, are big Grizz fans. and uh, It's so nice to say, what have you done for me lately? You know? <laughs> oh, cool. You beat Washington. You got your shit pushed in by the Cats last year. Two years <laughs> ago, I guess. But but, uh, yeah, it's pretty nice to be able to say that. And, you know, I know all good things come to an end, but I don't think it's going to be this year.
1: Do <laughs> you got anything planned this fall? you going to make it to any games?
0: I'm hoping so. I really am. I wanted to get down to that Wyoming game, but my work schedule is pretty goofy at the refinery. It's it's a lot of shift work, and you work nights and weekends, and sometimes it's hard to make that line up. But, I definitely am going to try and make it down to a few. Uh, and then uh, I think we're trying to get down to Maggie's cousin plays for the Saints. So we're going to try and get down to one of those games too. So, got a lot of big plans.
1: Well, Brad, it's been a distinct pleasure. Love catching up with you, man. These are awesome stories, and uh, it's been really fun chatting. Thanks for taking so much time. It's Catching Up with the Cats with Brad Daly, former All-American and Buck Buchanan award-winning defensive end at Montana State from 2009 to 2013. Thanks for doing it, man. It was, uh, it was awesome talking to you.
0: Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Walter.
1: At long last, football is back in the Gallatin Valley, and Montana State enters Brent Vegan's first season at the helm with sky-high expectations. During the 2021 season, the Montana State Bobcats hope to carry the momentum of a historic playoff run that saw the Bobcats advance to the semifinals of the FCS playoffs for the first time in 35 years. Each and every Bobcat home game, tune in to Sky Country to hear from me, Colter Nuanez of SkylineSportsMT.com. This will be my 12th season covering the Montana State football beat and my 16th year overall covering the big sky conference so tune in to hear myself and dave wooten for insight analysis interviews and a whole lot of fun tune into k sky country two hours before each bobcat home game for our bobcat sports saturday or swing by the tailgate in front of town and country foods where we will have food drinks and a whole lot more bobcat football is back at long last so don't miss any of the action here on k sky country